Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Several weeks ago, I was speaking to a psychologist, Rosalind Malmet, who lives in Southeast Florida, about a certain type of interactions that people find very distressing. Very frequently, it seems that the women suffer more from it than men, but it actually goes both ways. Dr. Malmet, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Let's talk about the recognition of what we will call verbal abuse and how is it found in a relationship? How does it manifest? What do we mean by verbal abuse as opposed to a more, shall we say, physical abuse? It's a verbal put-down for someone. It's not respecting them. Is it common? In the course of your doing psychotherapy, how often do you see something like this? Quite a lot. Let's start with an example. Maybe people can identify with just hearing. What would be a typical interaction that would, in your mind, say, oh my goodness, there is an issue of verbal abuse going on here? What characteristics does a psychotherapist look for? The general characteristics of verbal abuse would be, first of all, understanding that it's very hurtful. It attacks the nature, the personality of the other person. It can involve name-calling. It often occurs behind closed doors. So the abuser might look like a very nice guy to everybody else, but inside the home, they have complete control. I think it starts out in very subtle ways of putting someone down, and it moves on. It escalates. When this starts to occur, is it usually more by design and wanting to intimidate the abused? Is that the angle? Well, I don't think, I'm using male as the common person. I don't think they begin saying, oh, I'm going to verbally abuse my partner, my wife, and put her down over the course of time so that she becomes a nothing. I think it starts out that they want control. They want to make the decisions. They're the breadwinner. They earn more money. It should all be up to them. But over time, their little insults just keep escalating. And to the point where, theoretically, it might even break a marriage up? It's not that he's going to break up the marriage because if he's set the seed and it grows over time, he's content. He's getting everything he wants. He's got a servant at home doing all of his bidding. It's only going to end if the woman gets strong enough to be able to recognize that she's not happy in the relationship. She has to get stronger in the relationship. Is there any sense from what you've seen that people don't know this before they get married? One one would think this would be more or less evident in the course of dating. Well, okay, here's we get into a fine line. When okay. people talk about a narcissism, many narcissists are controllers, but not all controllers are narcissists. So they begin with someone that they do feel will listen to them and go along with what they like. It's over the course of time, their expectations become that much higher. And when does it, and perhaps you can't answer this in a simple manner, but when does it reach the point, typically, when the woman, being the more common of the diet of who's abused, reaches out for help? Or does she try to do it at home by herself? I feel like first we should understand how the verbal abuse is before we jump to Let's the recovery. I, I, okay, so say in the beginning of the relationship, the controller like a narcissist. They're very good. They act intimate. They share secrets. What the other person doesn't realize is happenings that occur to you, painful, humiliating experiences, that the controller is saving them up. It becomes part of their bundle that they're going to later use against you. You can't have intimacy if one person is trying to control. A red flag, so to speak? Always are going to be the red flags, 
but they'll come across as the nice guy in the beginning of the relationship. So you don't see that as control. It can come like in a very simple way. Oh, I really like you wearing that blue blouse. So you start wearing more blue, but you don't realize that down the line, it's going to be, this is what you have to wear whenever we do something more controlling over time. You had mentioned in our talking before we started to record that people might be living, shall we say, in a different reality. Absolutely. Could you explain that? As the controller progresses and realizes he can get what he wants, his reality is called its power. And he's going to exert that power and he enjoys it. So his idea is he has complete control. And even if the woman protests, does that ever, does that sometimes just make it worse? Well, absolutely. But before we go to that, the woman is coming from a place where she expects that they're partners. She thinks that there's intimacy. <clears throat> She's deluding herself to think that they're planning together where they're spending their money, where they're going on vacation, what their goals are. She is living in her reality that they're a partnership. He's coming from the place of he makes all the major decisions. I would imagine this is even more complex if there is alcohol or drug use on the side of the abuser. I mean, it wouldn't just would complicate things. So one of the terms that came up is that some people, this is how they express their anger, um, that they might even be, shall we say, addicted to this type of expression of anger. What, what would you say about that? Well, absolutely. Um, okay, so the abuser has his sense of reality. He feels justified with any of the angry statements that he makes. He might have had a bad day of work. He comes home, he takes it out on his partner or the children. It can just keep escalating from that. And there's no way that she can defend herself. Anything that she verbalizes, oh, but I meant this, oh, I tried to do that, oh, I made your favorite dinner, nothing she will say will calm his anger. In fact, she, what she learns over time is one of the methods just passive resistance. I'm sorry, you're right. In your experience, in your clinical experience, does this abusing also go past the spouse, but perhaps to the children? And it can cause a lot of dysfunction, therefore, in the totality of the family. Sure. And it can for some abusers. Some of them take, you know, they're not having that at work. They bring it home. Others are just like that at work. They're very difficult to work for. Interesting. So you also prepared different lists of some of the characteristics. And one of the things that I think would be warranted looking back at, um, well, I'll just let you look at the things that you noted here, because I think they're very critical in understanding the nature of the abused person and what can be done to help them. As I began with, just like with the narcissism, you start out where you're sharing, you feel intimate, you feel respected. Over time, that abuser withholds any of that affection. And you end up, the other person ends up feeling very lonely. Um, another would be always discounting whatever the, I'm just saying the woman says, the other person always puts it down. For example, you can't take a joke. Well, the joke might have been at her expense, but it's always like you can't take a joke. You're too sensitive. 
You don't have a sense of humor. You take things too seriously. And if she tries to protest in a rational way, the response will be, you think you know it all, or you're looking for a fight. He's the one looking for a fight, but anytime she says anything, he always puts the blame back on her. And he also diminishes. I saw a patient who worked very hard to make a supper, a special supper, and she let her husband eat it, and she asked how it was, and he said, okay. He dismissed all the energy and time and intent that she had put into making something very tasty. My question is, well, let me phrase well, it that's this. a classic. In one of the books, the Verbal Abuse book, they talk about that as the shrimp salad. The man says, what is there for me to have for lunch? And the woman says, oh, well, I prepared a shrimp salad. Well, he starts yelling at her, what makes you think I wanted a salad? So she tries to interrupt and say, well, I was just mentioning that. I'm happy to have the salad. I can make you what you like. But he, once he's off and rolling, no matter what she says, it's not good enough. It ends up where he storms out of the house and says, well, I guess I have to go eat out. Again, we have the verbal abuse disguises jokes. But the jokes are always at her expense. Um, there's also called blocking and diverting. So, for example, he has her on a budget and goes over every single cent that he that she pays. But if she says, well, how come there are all these withdrawals? He's like, I don't need to explain that to you. I'm the one making all the money. So that's what we call his diverting. Accusing and blaming. So, for example, she starts going to the gym at night. He will come back and say, oh, you're at that gym awfully. I don't believe you're really at the gym. I think you're having an affair. So no matter what she tries to do, it always comes back for some criticism against her. We've mentioned judging, criticizing. We meant trivializing a lot. Example would be she decides she wants to take a class you know, maybe an art class or a Spanish class. And he's like, oh, I think that's a wonderful idea. Yet, when the time comes, it's, you want me to eat dinner now? You want me to heat up my own meal? Oh, you're out so often at night. So he ends up saying he wants it, but then he sulks, he pouts, or he's downright angry about her taking off. We mention undermining, which is the constant here. Whatever she does, it's never good enough. Then we get into the parts of threatening, and that gets back to what we talked about with the anger. I don't think that is at the start of these relationships. I think that's part of what grows. If you don't do what I want, I'm going to leave you. If you don't have sex with me, I'm going to go get a mistress. Do what I want, or I'll get really angry. And that can also then lead to physical abuse. This is the threats that begin quietly, but I think as this abusive relationship continues over the years, the threats become quite real. Name-calling. I think that's an obvious one. You start out just undermining the woman, but it can build. It's, well, you're just not much of a cook. Well, no clothes are really going to look good on you because you've got a big tush. And it keeps going. You know, oh, you're just not smart. Oh, you just don't understand math. Oh, your sense of politics is just so dismal. Forgetting. Now, this is a, This sounds really classic. You have a discussion, you think you've reached a conclusion, but a day or two later, they absolutely deny that you ever had that conversation. Here you thought you worked through something, you sat for an hour, you made a compromise decision, and then 
they just keep denying that you ever had that conversation. I kind of call that gaslighting from the old movie with Ingrid Bergman, but they try to make you crazy. Ordering, which I already mentioned, denial, and then, as we talked about, moving on to the abusive anger. Can it almost be assumed that if there is abuse, physical abuse, that this whole process preceded it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If a woman comes to you and complains about this, it must be extraordinarily difficult to fix it, so to speak. What do you do? It depends on why the woman's coming in. I had a phone call from someone saying, I've been in a relationship with this man for 10 years. He's abused me verbally and this and this. She's had one girlfriend after another. But how can you help me to get him back? Well, this woman is clearly not ready so for So she it. wants the abuser back in her life. Exactly. Okay, so that's the extreme. But the other women, I'll say, come to me because they know that they're unhappy. And their basic question that they'll say maybe to a good friend or a relative is, this is the kind of interaction I have with my husband. Is this normal? So when they finally are able to verbalize it to somebody else, peer person walked to them and said, of course this isn't normal. This is, this is verbal abuse. Or they can't say it to someone on the outside, but they just know they're unhappy and they come to the therapist. And the therapist has to listen, sort it through, figure out how it's coming about, what's going on, and go through with the woman all the ways that she's been conditioned to accept this and what's happened to her over time. You certainly can see if her spouse is willing to come in and work together, maybe sometimes that abuser is willing to change. If that person isn't willing to change, then what the therapist does is to help the woman to regain some of the self-confidence. If abuser is not willing to change, the first thing we try to do is to teach the person abused, the woman, how to handle herself better. So some of it is teaching her new ways to communicate. So when she is attacked verbally, she learns to say things like, that hurts my feelings, that was an abusive statement, that was a put down. She begins to not argue with it, just simply identify each and every time she hears that kind of a statement. That's an important difference, identifying versus arguing. Exactly. He wants to fight, so you don't argue. You try to, I guess, deflate in in a manner by just identifying your feeling but not wanting to become confrontative. And the key to this, and this takes some time in therapy, and some people come in more ready than not, is when the woman realizes that his game is to control, and she doesn't have to play that game, but that's what it's all about. She starts to build up that inner strength. And you said that it takes some time. That always is an issue in all the verbal psychotherapies, because Yes, it just takes time, if nothing else, perhaps, just to identify the parameters that you have to look at. Sure. But I might go through this. I have different short articles that I will give people to read. We talk about it. We role play. The main part is to help them to recognize that this is all about control. And if you don't understand this, then you're helpless. Some of what happens is women first try to mention this to other people in their network is they get these what I call the malevolent cliches. Things like, it takes two. Love conquers all. You can rise above it. Be glad you have a roof over your head. Think about your children. If you can't say something nice about someone, then don't say anything at all. A woman has to give a little more than a man. If you're nice to people, they'll be nice to you. If you open up to him, he'll open up to you, which, of course, as I said, is a complete fallacy because anything you've already shared with him is a weapon in his arsenal. His bark is worse than his bite. People don't always mean what they say. 
keeps smiling. He doesn't know any better. It's just a stage. He's in a bad mood. Things like that. Those are the cliches that people often hear. And I have women that hear that from their mothers, from their close friends. Oh, you need to try harder. This is what marriage is about. And it isn't what a good marriage is about. That's interesting. If someone says, this is what marriage is about, maybe they also are in a similar marriage and they just accepted it, that there's an abusive quality. Which brings up an interesting question. I don't know how often you have the time when doing therapy to meet the parents or to see the background from which these people came and what social skills and psychological skills and strengths and expectations that they got from their childhood. must be a fascinating opportunity if you have it. Well, it's actually very classic. Women have been socialized through the centuries, as Jung would talk about the archetype, is to be of service to others, to be helpful. So they're steered in that way. They've learned to have all those good graces. When we're talking about the the conditioning for the woman, you're often going to see that her mother has had has also been conditioned, and the whole family will kind of collaborate. Oh, daddy's in a bad mood. We have to be very quiet at dinner. We have to do this or that for dad. You know, we have to be that considerate of him. So she walks into a marriage with that same attitude. One of the things I try to do as we go through the therapy is first just help them to identify what are the characteristics and the categories of verbal abuse. Their spouse or partner might have three or four that are his main tools that he used. So I listed many different ones like withholding, countering, discounting, judging. We try to figure out what are his main ones because that way the person gets some, it builds up their spirit. Then we try to role play how to identify and how to answer when these things occur. The main part is to try to not take it so personally, to realize that that's their game. You don't have to play into it. An interesting position to take. I would hope that if anybody listening to this identifies with what we are saying, what Dr. Malman was saying, insofar as the nature of the relationship, that they seek help, that they find a good, competent psychotherapist and begin to genuinely work at this to make their life better. One of the things I like to say is that as the woman regains her confidence, she's also going to be able to become more spontaneous, to regain her sense of humor, to network, to start having fun in the world. I like to think of it, you know, they talk about the spirit. I will try with people to get them to imagine their animal spirit. So if you imagine yourself, for example, as the lion, and somebody is abusing you or treating you disdainfully, and you have that animal sense, it gives you that backbone, that strength to say, I don't want to take this anymore. This is what you're saying. So whether it's a lion or an eagle, it's that animal spirit that gives you that solidity to be able to make a change, either making him aware of what he's doing or being able to move on. Very interesting, Dr. Melbourne. We thank you very much. Again, a huge topic. And to restate the hope that people who are involved in these types of relationships will reach out to a good therapist to um, help you resolve this and carry on in their lives. Dr. Melman, thank you so much. Thank you.